This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Chris Foster. Artificial intelligence, as it improves, is being used as a tool in more ways. That includes military planning, intelligence, and operations. Brian Clark says it's essential that the U.S. military keep up, using the Navy, serving on submarines, and helping to form strategy and policy. Now he's a senior fellow at the Center for Defense Concepts and Technology at the Hudson Institute, that's a Washington, D.C. think tank founded in 1961. We had him on to talk about an article he wrote called Five Ways AI is Leveling the Battlefield. It's up on foxnews.com. As often happens with a knowledgeable, enthusiastic guest, we kept the conversation going for longer than we'd planned and for too long to air it all on the regular weekday podcast and radio show. Whole thing's here for you now. Thanks for listening and subscribing. Now Brian Clark on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Uh, all right, Brian, uh, thanks for coming on the Fox News Rundown. Um when I think of stuff like, I know there's more to it than this, but when I think of stuff like chat GBT, I think about, you know, writing a, a maybe a, a, a little news article or a best man speech. Uh, how can it help militaries? Yeah. So chat GBT, GPT and other large language models, you know, they can do, um, you know, quite a bit, you know, that militaries need to do. Obviously, militaries need to do a lot of writing. You have to write orders. You have to write code. Um, you have to write, um, you know, mission plans. And, you know, it would seem like military Planning and operations aren't something that you can just use a large language model to do, but you can. So if you've got a big enough you know, database of past operations you have to draw upon, which we do, um, you can actually use um, you know, chat GPT to kind of create um, you know, plans based on what's worked before. You know, and it, it'll use the large language model to be able to craft those. So it's a surprisingly versatile tool for military operations, you know, on the side where you're having to do planning and promulgation of plans. And, and then when it comes to actually, you know, bringing, you know, units together and trying to connect them, a lot of that's software. And you can use chat GPT to write software, you know, by saying, okay, what software scripts have worked in the past for, you know, accomplishing these tasks. You can have it go pull that together and create a, a line of code for you. So it's amazing you know how even a, a tool like that that seems like it's just good for things like writing speeches uh, can be reapplied you know towards the military context what's something specific like in in logistics and planning like 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 food or fuel that um that you can right. use this stuff for i mean well answer that part first and then i'll move on to how who feeds the model how does that work Right. Yeah. So, you know, if you are, um, you know, coming up, you're trying to come up with a plan for like, what's the best way to get fuel from, you know, the depot where we're storing it, you know, which might be even back in the, you know, continental United States. I need to get that fuel out to a tank farm in Guam, and then I need to get it onto airplanes, you know, that are flying around off of Guam. Um, you'd say, well, that seems like I got to go do a bunch of math and figure out, you know, the, the time distance and, and the way that, how much the weight is going to be and all those things. But you could also say, well, I've got all these past operations. We, we've done that, you know, thousands of times, right? And um, we can feed that into the model. And then when I go in and say, okay, you know, chat GPT, you know, give me a, a mission plan for routing this much fuel from here 
to this place and then to airplanes that are using it. And it can give you a pretty good first order approximation of, you know, how that, how that can happen based on, you know, drawing upon the examples of previous operations, just like you would if you were asking it to write, you know, a first, you know, a best man speech in the voice of, you know, um, you know, name your your celebrity in the in the voice of like uh, uh, Jamie Fox. <laughs> yeah, right. So you fed it. So somehow you fed it, or it scraped everything Jamie Fox has right. ever said, and then a bunch of other right. best man speeches, and then and then mashes them yeah. together. In that way, it it, right. it uses the same thing where you're you're feeding it statistics from past op- logistic logistics right. statistics from past operations. Right, because we've got all these plans. You know, we build these logistics plans, for example, on spreadsheets like Excel. Right, so it's just a bunch of Excel spreadsheets that talk about you know where the fuel started from, where it went, how much fuel was transferred, um, you know, and and you know, over what time frame that occurred, and, and what vehicles you know may have been involved. So that's all just on spreadsheets, um, and you can just download that and, and use that as the data to to have the large language model scrape, um, and it'll give you the same kind of output that you get from you know Chat GPT when you ask it to do more mundane tasks. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Speaking of uh, very important, but it sounds maybe mundane, is uh, it's just stuff like maintenance. Um, Right. You say that um, that AI can help sort of predict when and how stuff is going to break down. And you can and you can right. stop it ahead of time. Yeah. So, um, you know, this has been used for a while now. So airlines do this um, it, or, or the maintainers that support airlines do this. Uh, and uh, we've used it to some degree on ground vehicles. Um, automobile manufacturers are beginning to use this, too. So you know, what they'll do is feed in, you know, into uh, an AI algorithm. The, the language the, the learning that it's going to do is not necessarily a language like a large language model would do like chat GPT, but instead the data here is going to be failure data or you know repair data for um, you know vehicles or for airplanes. Um, so how when did they fail, what failed um, and then you know what was necessary to repair them? You have that kind of data get fed in to the the model and then the model is going to learn over time well how long is the time between failures for a a particular component and you can break it down to a really high degree of detail like you know this washer on this pump on this engine fails at this frequency because over time you build up a huge database of that information now if you think about like the 737 fleet um that united airlines and other in southwest you know others fly um there's hundreds of thousands of flight hours, you know, together with that that data set. Uh, if you're Boeing, you can take that data because you generally either do the maintenance yourself or you're getting fed maintenance data from you know, the third party maintainers that are doing this work. And you're just, you know, assembling all that data and you can use your AI algorithm, go through it and say, OK, predict when you know each of these components is going to fail. Um, and then I can use that to then drive the maintenance you know, planning for the future. So if, if a certain thing doesn't fail very often, I probably don't need to do maintenance on it as frequently as I have been. You know, so I can start to stretch out those you know, time frames between maintenance periods. Or if something's failing more frequently than I thought and I'm having to repair it as opposed to just replace it on a normal cycle, you know, then I probably need to change the cycle or I need to change the part. 
So this information, you know, it's it's hugely valuable. This maintenance data, um, and it almost becomes you know capital uh, in its own, in its own yeah. right. You know, so the the maintenance data that Boeing's getting is actually extremely valuable because not only Boeing but other other manufacturers or other maintainers could use it as well. And I imagine you could use the same tools in development as well. If you can look at what's hap- what's right. gone wrong with every single F thirty five, you can say, okay, let's not do that right. with the F thirty six. Right. Yeah. So you can say, well, what are the common elements between F-35 and then whatever the next you know, fighter is going to be, F-36? Um, and there's going to be a bunch, right? Because you say, well, you know, it's obviously generations of airplanes change, but a lot of the, the components are going to be carried over that are the same. You know, a lot of the engine components are the same, you know, between different generations of fighters. Um, a lot of the radar systems might have a lot of common elements. So especially if you break it down to a high level of detail, a lot of these little subsystems, you know, like a uh, you know, an amplifier that goes into a radar. It could be the same amplifier that's on, you know, 50 different radars, but, um, you know, and they all look different in their their final assembly. But those those subcomponents, those parts are the ones that you're really interested in because they're they're common. There's lots of data on them and they're usually the things that fail. So I'd like to have an understanding of how often do they fail? How often do I need to replace them? Which one's or seem to be more reliable than others is a really good piece of information. And so that's the kind of information that manufacturers really want to get, you know, one to do better as a manufacturer, but also because then it helps them in their next proposal to the government in terms of what's the next generation of airplane we're going to field. You know, I, I've got data that shows that this this thing I'm proposing is going to be much more reliable than my competitor. Um, so there's lots of reasons why this data becomes a really valuable commodity uh, in the, the manufacturing world. Talk about how AI works with um, intelligence an- analysis, for example, with uh, on a macro and a micro level, like uh, right, or, or or with smart smart weapons on a micro level, like okay, yeah. we know who this guy is. That's who we're looking right. for. Get him. And on a macro level, with um, right. just with analyzing intelligence. Yeah, yeah. So on the micro level, you know, we we already use AI algorithms in uh, you know some weapons that uh. We'll be we'll use uh, training data, you know, looking at, you know, hundreds of, for example, uh, a long range anti ship missile, um, you know, has an AI enabled uh, guidance system. You know, so what it'll do is we'll train that guidance system on hundreds of images of enemy ships and friendly ships and um, you know non combatant ships, um, and then train it to say, you know, this is a bad guy ship, this is a good guy ship, this is a non combatant ship. Um, this is not a ship. This is a you know a, a, a lighthouse or something. So you train it on all this data, um, and you get that uh, that seeker, that guidance system, to understand you know what it's looking for. And so uh, over time, it's going to be able to then see a new image and be able to determine you know what it is. And just like we use you know just like with facial recognition or anything else, where you use AI to do image recognition. Um, so we're we're loading that kind of algorithm and that kind of training data. Um, or that learning model into weapons today at the micro level. And at the macro level, we're also using AI to evaluate, you know, kind of the troves of uh, open source data that come in, just like, you know, all this commercial satellite imagery, um, information from social media on the internet, um, and feed that into models so that we can um, train them uh, in terms of what activities are indicative of what future outcomes. So you can say, well, when I see these set of uh, ships or, or, sh- or vehicles moving around in a near a base, um, and then, you know, two days later, we see them do like a missile launch, um, we can start to infer this kind of activity indicates a future missile launch is you know, going to come in the next few days. Um, 
And so your intelligence models can use AI to start then predicting in the future when certain activities that are you're seeing in the real in real time are indicative of certain future activities that are likely to occur um, and what they might mean about your adversary's behavior. So you can start to use AI to you know, not just sort of analyze what you're seeing, like what is this thing I'm looking at right now, but also say, what does this activity I'm looking at right now mean about the future? And I guess a lot of this comes together when it comes to uncrewed uh, weapon systems and right. drones and whatever's coming next. Um, where you where you don't need the manpower. Just look at Ukraine and Russia, where Ukraine is outmanned, right. but it doesn't matter so much. Right, right. So your AI algorithms can, you know, help to you know, take the place of a army of intelligence analysts, for example. So you know, it used to be I would have to have a bunch of people doing number crunching to say. Um, or you're looking at images to identify what's going on in some you know, overhead satellite imagery that we got. I can use AI tools now, once they've been trained, uh, to be able to do that automatically and at scale. So you can get massive amounts of intelligence uh, data coming in and then quickly you know, put out intelligence products that actually digest it and tell you what you're looking at in these, you know, grainy images. Um, and then when it comes to, um, you know, the, the uh, analytic effort, um, you know, figuring out, well, what's the enemy going to do next? Um, yeah, that used to be, you know, a bunch of people sitting around tables and, you know, talking about what the enemy is doing. What do these pictures mean, maybe? But now you can inform that effort with a lot more, you know, rigorous analysis that the AI is doing on, you know, what we're seeing and what it might mean going forward. Um, and you can free up a lot of these people that would have spent their time thinking about that and instead have them focus on planning the next operation to make the enemy's life harder. So you can use your people a lot more efficiently instead of doing this grunt work of analysis and and planning, you know, like we talked about with logistics, um, you can have them focusing on you know, orchestrating the next attack, you know, being able to think ahead and be creative about how we're going to use the forces that we have. And Ukraine's done that really effectively. They've been using AI to help do the, the grunt work uh, in a lot of ways, and they've been able to have their commanders and their staffs focus on being creative and how they use the force. Does this eventually, or does it not, sort of mitigate the United States or any nation's advantages um, in intelligence or, or, or simple manpower? If everybody has access to the same tools, and down the road, those tools are about as good as everybody else's, and they're being fed about as well as everybody else's. Isn't are, aren't we going to see yeah. more stalemates? Um, I think what you'll see is, I mean, it's kind of uh, it's just like any technology proliferation, you know, system or uh, scheme where everybody eventually gets that same baseline level of technology, and then you have to identify, well, what's the areas where I can get competitive advantage? So when you look at everybody having you know, large language models like ChatGPT or these, you know, AI-enabled maintenance analy anal analysis tools, uh, the areas where you start to get advantage are, well, can I get better data? You know, can I get better data to train my model to be a better predictor of what's going to happen next? Um, and then can I um, you know, do better at training my model? So not just do I have better data, but also do I do a better job of um, telling it what you know, right looks like when it's trying to do predictions. Um, you know, and then it's a then it becomes a matter of um, it, how uh, creative am I at using those kind of basic tools in warfare. So you think about you know one area that's receiving a lot more attention now is counter AI efforts. So how can I confuse the other side's AI? How can I you know cause bad learning or, or incorrect learning on the part of my enemy's artificial intelligence <laughs> algorithms? Um, so you've got to think about, well, how would I do that? 
Um, I can use some of my own AI tools to predict how a certain set of inputs might train the enemy's AI in a bad way. Um, but you kind of, you know, that that ends up being where the advantage starts to be gained is in these edge these edges of the of the AI com- competition. So, you know, data, the effectiveness of learning. Um, how creatively I can use anti-AI tools against my enemies. Those are going to be the places where you're going to see advantage. So it'll continue to evolve over time. And and the, the countries or the militaries that spend more time focusing that on that are going to have a edge over those that don't. How about the propaganda end of wars? I mean, how can AI be used right. to that end? And it is being used to that yeah. end, um, not just in hot wars, but in we've seen the Russians use it for yeah. a while in, in, in their propaganda efforts. Um, and how can that be fought? Yeah, so you know, prop- uh, propaganda, misinformation, disinformation, I guess is a better you know, for, term for this, is something that AI is being used for pretty aggressively right now. You know, create you know, image generation, text generation, voice generation, um, so that you can create plausible depictions of, ac- of uh, events that didn't occur or, or, or a spoken word that didn't occur. Um, and introducing that into the into the information environment is, you know, becoming much more prevalent. Um, and so I think there's, you know, so one way to deal with that is uh, to use AI tools to be able to recognize it. So in the same way that you can use an AI tool to recognize whether an image is a car or a boat or a lighthouse, you can use an, you can use AI tools to recognize whether a image or a, a piece of text or, or spoken, uh, you know, tract is um real or if it's ai generated and there's because there's you know telltale indicators of that that you can maybe key on with your ai uh, analysis tools um the other way is um to you know drive you know more uh you know true information into the environment to try to overcome that's being that's being generated by you know ai to try to you know promote propaganda goals. Um, and the AI can be used there too, because I can use AI to start to uh, predict where are propaganda, you know, uh, where's propaganda likely to emerge in the information environment? Like what, you know, outlets are likely to promote it, what social media sites are likely to promote it, start to predict where you're going to see propaganda and jump in there, you know, ahead of time or even in concert with the propaganda to put true information out. So you can use AI to fight AI in a lot of ways. And I think that's an area where the you know, U.S. and, and you know, the information uh, warfare community is really focused. Is there a danger that at some point the tech gets so good that those indicators go away and you can you can and somebody could broadcast the president of the United States saying whatever they want to on a screen. And then that administration has to get out there and and, and fight that successfully or not right yeah and uh, so it it will get a, a but you know again at the same time if the ai generated um you know text or, or video or whatever is getting better the diagnosis tools are also getting better yeah so your your ai enabled diagnosis capabilities are also improving um but i'd say you're going to get to a point where it's it's difficult right there's, there's going to be you know some kind of stalemate like you said between the offense and defense when it comes to generating propaganda and then i think that the other tools that you have at your disposal are this idea of you know how do i basically maneuver in the information space to cut off a- access for those propaganda outlets you know how can i you know basically predict when they're likely to produce propaganda and then either you know overwhelm them with true information 
or I do a cyber attack to take down the outlet and, and you know, eliminate that source of propaganda temporarily. So you, know, you, can, you can see ways that AI could be used to start to predict how disinformation is going to be employed and then use that as a way to maneuver in, in ahead of time. So in the same way that we would maneuver in the physical space to cut off an enemy's actions, we, we could do the same thing in the information space. Brian, I'll ask you what I'm sure you've been asked before about all this stuff. How does it not turn into the Terminator somehow? What, where where right. smart military tools go rogue due to being programmed in some un- unforeseen way or they're, they're learning faster or so well that they overtake what we want them to do? Is that not the logical end or is there a more optimistic view of this? Well, I think, you know, the, the limitations, you know, are, you know, that weapons, um, you know, all have a, you know, limited endurance lifetime. Uh, so yes, you could end up with situations where AI enabled weapons, you know, once launched, you know, could go after targets that we didn't intend them to go go after. And then if you think about they're being launched by a AI enabled launch platform, like an airplane or a missile launcher or something, you know, that thing could go rogue too. And you could end up with a situation where weapons are being launched by platforms that, you know, are doing it basically based on their own decisions that are not the ones we would want them to make. Um, but there's always a limit into how much you, that really could go on because um, there's nobody to reload those you know, platforms. There's nobody to reload those weapons. You know, people are always necessary to kind of sustain any sort of military effort. So even if machines are, they go rogue and they take an initial set of actions that, you know, we didn't want them to take, Get, you know, continuing that effort is going to require people, and that's where it kind of slows down or stops because you know people are not going to continue to enable the machines to go do things that are bad for people. Um, so that's that, that's sort of, there's sort of a limiting factor there, and that in that people are always really necessary to continue any sort of military action or to sustain the industrial base necessary to build these systems in the future. It, there's a there's a finite you know pretty pretty short finite you know limit to what autonomous weapons can do on their own. Brian, you've clearly not seen the movies. The robots are going to load the weapons and the robots are, and the robots are going to repair and the robots are going to repair themselves and build more robots. Right. And so what's funny is you talk to folks at like Amazon or whatever and they say, you know, building robots to do what people do is like the most challenging thing you can do with a robot and and their point is we make simple dumb robots or we buy simple dumb robots to operate in the warehouses because they're easier to get they're cheaper they're you know we can work around them but yeah try, try to build that you know robot that's going to take the place of a human in wherever a human is ends up being a, like a, the most challenging and you know costly uh, path to robot or automate automation let's keep it that way brian clark uh senior yeah. fellow with the center for defense concepts and technology at the hunts uh the hudson institute excuse me formerly with the United States Navy. Brian, thank you for coming on the Fox News Rundown. Thanks, Sam. My pleasure to be here. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.